Week two, on our in our study on Proverbs, we uh, we're in a thirteen week study here. This fall, uh, um, on just on God's wisdom for living, which we need desperately right now in our culture, and certainly always need, and I, I personally need it in in big ways as well. So here we are. Looked at friendship, and what the Proverbs in particular have to say about it. That wonderful gift of God to man. Last week and this week, we're just looking at um, at work, and what the Proverbs have to say about work, and and conversely. Poverty, but more than that, we'll probably look at poverty alongside wealth more, uh, indolence or sloth, laziness. So the lazy man is often contrasted with the diligent or the hard worker here in the Proverbs. And we will see that it's, it's not just a condition of doing, it's a soul condition and something that only Jesus in the end can, um, can fully bring us into in a healthy way. That is hard work and industry, um, and rest, which is which is part of part of that whole picture. We'll get there, um, hopefully. But it, work is is a theme that is scattered broadcast throughout the proverbs. I tried to pick themes, discrete topics that were work. Certainly is. Um, once you get into chapter ten, which is really where this, the proverbs of Solomon uh, formally begin, uh, that, that sort of aphoristic fridge magnet, sort of life wisdom uh, sayings. In two lines that we're used to when we think of the Proverbs, um, you, you almost have at least a few verses in every chapter all the way through the end of the end of Proverbs on uh, on work. So it's scattered broadcast. It's a really important theme. Work is something that all of us do. Um, whether we're paid for it or not, uh, it's it's just a intrinsic part of, of life. And an important thing to say here is at the beginning is something that a lot of you will know, but um, even if you do, it's, it's, it's worth reminding ourselves of the fact that work is a gift. It's a lot of times when we think of work, we think of working for the weekend. Um, I'd rather not. I'd rather have the government pay me not to, um, et cetera, et cetera. Work is a gift. It's uh, it, it was it's not a consequence of the fall of Adam and Eve rebelling and all creation cracking under their under their rebellion um, because they were given dominion over all things. And when they fell, creation fell, uh, which, which speaks of course to the redemption that Christ brings to us is not just saving us. It's beginning the process of the restoration of all things as the second Adam will get there as well. Work is a gift though. It was given to Adam uh, and, and through him to Eve in the garden uh, in Genesis two, Genesis one spoken of Genesis two explicitly given to Adam to work and to keep uh, what was given to him in the garden and to presumably, there's a lot of implications, presumably to spread, to spread that garden through his cultivation of it um, and his rule over the beasts of the field and the, and the birds of the air and, and the fish of the sea and all of creation uh, to spread that paradise over all the earth as he cultivated, as he, as he brought out the potential in God's good creation. And so work um, was a gift free fall, not tinged with pain or boredom um, or even sweat. And so when we think of work as as something we don't want to do, it's because it's for two reasons. It's one, because there's something wrong with us. Something has changed because of us, uh, in us, because of the fall. We have an adverse reaction to work, but also because work itself has changed. We work sort of resists us. And that's packed into gen to Genesis three, when God says that basically the the uh, the earth is going to fight against you now when you try to plow it uh, to bear fruit 
it's it's going to it's not going to yield to you like it did. It still does. Obviously, we know that the yield the the, the earth yields beautifully, but also um, and, and terms like sweat and pain and toil are used. And so the pain and the boredom um, and the lack of productivity and the waste, uh, et cetera, et cetera, um, and that come along with work are all part of the curse. So work itself is a gift, but it's been perverted like, like everything in creation through, uh, through our rebellion. And so Christ has, his coming, uh, has begun the process of restoring work and restoring our relationship to work. There will be work. Uh, I, I'm convinced that there's good evidence for the fact that ample evidence for the fact that there will be work because it was a, a pre-fall gift. Um, there will be work in the new creation where there is no sin. There's no, there's no cancer. There's no sadness. There's no regret. Um, there's no evil. Um, there will be work to do. And so work, it won't just, you know, the Gary Larson cartoon of us being up in heaven playing harps on clouds is absolutely false. That sounds so boring to me. And it sounds so boring to most people. And so a lot of people that don't know much about heaven and what the Bible has to say about it and the new heavens and new earth, you think, Hey, we're going to heaven. No, actually we're, the heaven is coming down. Our final destination is, is this earth, this good earth remade, recreated all the bad stuff stripped away. God reigning with us in person as the God man, Jesus Christ, as our King, um, in a city, the Kings, the Kings and the rulers of the earth, bringing their wares in and out of the city. Um, and us working and us adventuring and us exploring, I imagine we'll be colonizing. My guess is we'll be colonizing other planets and, um, adventuring in space as well. If we're doing that here in this broken cosmos where we die and where we're limited in our intellects and not that we won't be limited in the future, but, but sin and, and death and corruption and selfishness and wars just make all that so much less productive and less possible. Of course, uh, you know, God made us to cultivate God made us to explore and to adventure. Um, God made us to cause his creation to prosper and to build and to create. That's what he did in Genesis one. It's what he's still doing. It's how we image him. So work is a way that we image God. Uh, we'll be doing it in the new creation. We're doing it here, but it's, it's, um, tainted, right. With, with all these things. And so that's why we say, hey, I'm working for the weekend because work can be hard. Work can be boring. Work can be unproductive. Work can be wasted. Um, but anyway, all that to say, the Proverbs talk about the value of work and what good work looks like and what diligence brings, what hard work brings and what the lack of hard work brings. And I think overall, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to, there are, I don't know, 30 verses, 30 plus, I'm not going to list them out, um, on work in the, in the Bible, probably more 40. And, uh, I'm just going to pick out a few of them. But I think overall, one of the main themes is that work, one of the key things to work well done is, of course, doing it honestly, but doing it diligently. The word diligence is used. Of course, that's an English translation. But um, the diligent, not just the worker, the diligent will rule. The diligent will, will enjoy the fruit of his labor. The diligent will eat and be satisfied. The diligent will have stores in in times of want, in the wintertime, because he works in the summertime. So not just the worker, the diligent. In other words, work throughout the Proverbs really is one of the things that's attached to something that we want to be doing when we work is diligence. And what is that? 
well, among other things, it's that it's the idea of the worker who works day in, day out. Yes, part of that is he rests when God says to rest. That means at least it means in the evenings. It means at least, um, you know, sleep is a, is a daily rest. There's a weekly rest that God's given us in the Sabbath. You're not to work um, as you do the other six days on that day. It helps you work harder the other six days. Um, you're to remember that God rested. You're to remember that God created all things. You're to worship him. You're to rest and play. You're to be restored. Um, and that's part of work. But diligence means that you're working day in, day out, uh, year in, year out, decade in, decade out. You are building little by little by little by little. There's there's a sort of persistency and a, and not, and, and a sort of non-over-ambitiousness. You're, there's a realism. There's a hard-nosed realism, to use a phrase that Keller uses in talking about work, that's, that's attached to the worker in Proverbs. And, um, you're not, you're not looking, you don't, you're not building castles in the air. You're not looking toward the horizon. Yes, there's dreaming and there's imagination, but you're doing things day by day that, that add up over time. And that's, you know, the best way to, you know, if you're a money manager, your money manager, you'll know that the best way to, to have something when you're 70 years old is to, is to day by day, week by week, month by month, year after year, just put in a little, put in a little, put it aside, put it aside. Over time, both just through aggregation and compound interest, that becomes a massive sum that you can rely on to, uh, that you can use to to enjoy your golden years, to to give freely, to invest, etc. So, um, it's the persistence. It's the persistence. We'll get to that. But one of the pictures I wanted to start with, and I think this is the first time work is mentioned, uh, at least concretely, in, in the Proverbs, is Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. And, I, and I'll read them in a second. But it talks about the ant. And I love, you talk about con- concrete picture. Um, the, the, those who wrote the Proverbs, among them Solomon, um, talk, learn from creation. They, they say, hey, go to creation. Study creation. Look at the badger. Look at the lizard. <clears throat> look at the ant. And learn from creation. God has, uh, and we'll get to this in a second, maybe. But God has given us in his created order lessons to learn from. Of course, Darwin screws all that up because he says that everything comes from blind energy and chance. And, and of course, if that's the case, then there aren't really many lessons to be learned um, from only sort of accidental uh, lessons to be learned. But, but that's, that's false. That's a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on everything attached to in other words, you know, microevolution. Hey, we're not getting into that here. But, um, you know, birds' beaks getting longer or shorter depending on how they use them. Of course, that's that's part of how God built creation to adapt based on its environment. That's part of his genius and this evidence that we have an amazing creator. But but this sort of everything came from prebiotic slime and that came from who knows where. It, um, no. So we can learn from creation. And the ant uh, is, is the little creature that started with. And I love I love watching ants and there's so much to be learned from the way that they work and that's what the pro the proverbia the pervert proverbist i don't know um says he says go to the ant sluggard learn from her learn from her and so what does he say about the ant what can we learn from the ant well he says go to the ant oh sluggard proverbs 6 6 go to the ant oh sluggard see how he's talking about work and he's and then all, immediately he says sluggard so you, as soon as we hear about the diligent, we hear about the lazy person as well. Go to the Anna Slugger, consider her ways, which literally in the Hebrew just means look at her. Like observe creation. Open your eyes. 
one of the one of the key one of the um antidotes to to poverty in the proverbs in another verse that I probably won't touch on literally it just says uh, do you want bread on the table do you want to have provision uh, open your eyes essentially just stop sleeping just do something open your eyes get up put your feet on the ground and get to work do something concrete do it day after day and you will have you will have uh, you will have enough to eat so he says, go to the animal slugger, consider her way. So look at her and be wise. Learn from her, right? Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Um, a few things there. One, she doesn't have to be told what to do. The ants don't need someone cracking the whip over them. So often when we work, we're just working hard when the boss, uh, when we know that we feel the boss is watching us, when we have a deadline, where we're working hard when we where we're pretending to work hard, you know, it's about a kind of more about appearances than the actual work we're doing. Uh, Winston Churchill referred to that as sort of moving papers around on a desk, pawing at the ground. A lot of people, their work just is really in the end just kind of pawing at the ground. You're not actually doing anything productive. You're not moving things forward. You're not you're not creating. You're not by the sweat of your brow and your creativity and your intelligence actually contributing. You're just moving things around. So much work is like that. People are just working for a paycheck or working for appearances. Don't, the ant doesn't do that. The ant, the ant doesn't need anyone to be cracking the whip. The ants work together. So there's this idea of concert. They're working together, not just autonomously. They're working together to do something so much bigger than they could separately. And they don't need anyone to tell them to work together. They do it. They, they do it in agreement. And that's how God, that's God has put that in them to be ants, yes, but also to teach us, to teach humans. Isn't that wonderful? Um, and so working, the idea of working together uh, without someone having to tell us to, of working in concert, there being a unity and agreement is huge. You can do so much um, more together than you can apart. What is the old, the old African proverb? Uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, so true, so much wisdom there and it's, and it's here. Um, so don't, don't wait for the boss to, to be looking over your shoulder, to be telling you what to do. Like take the initiative. That's part of the good worker in the, in the Proverbs, uh, part of what the good worker does. The good worker takes the initiative. The good worker, it works for God and not for men. We get that in the new Testament. We, we do our work knowing that he's watching, knowing that he cares, knowing that he has given work to us as a gift to image him. And so we see that there's intrinsic value in mopping a floor. There's intrinsic value in changing a diaper. There's intrinsic value in uh, creating a company, in trading a stock, in pulling a tooth as a dentist, in um, doing electrical work as Metti does, our, our friend who's an electrician in our in our church, and on and on it goes in creating, in, in drawing up a brief, in arguing a case, in um, in doing heart surgery, and on and on it goes, right? Um, and so there's just value in work itself. Um, the ant doesn't require an overseer. She is self-motivated and she organizes herself with others. She doesn't. Uh, also, the other thing that you see here is that she works in summer, right? What is summer? Summer is, uh, I'm actually in Maui right now finishing a family holiday and uh, in a Starbucks parking lot recording this in, in a car uh, to give you a full visual. My my uh, my view of the mountains is gorgeous. It's morning and the sun is cresting over the, over the mountains um, in the east. But... Uh, it's summertime, and it's kind of summer year-round here in Hawaii. 
It's just beautiful. And uh, in summertime, we tend to take it easier. I'm on holiday, right? Um, and when it's when it's when the weather's nice, uh, we don't really think about provisioning as much. When things are and forget summer. When thing the whole idea is that look, whether it's summer or winter, when things are going well with you, um, you tend to want to kick back and and uh, take it easy. And of course, we've all we've all read the Aesop's uh, fable about the the grasshopper and the ant, right? And the, gra- the grasshopper during the summertime just plays and plays and takes it easy. And the ants are working, working, working during the summer to store things up. And that's exactly what we see here, that during the summertime, when you don't need to be working, you are working because you're looking ahead. So so good work. the good worker doesn't just put his – no, the good worker does plow his field. That's talked about in the problems. We may get to that. We may not in this short lesson. Um, he does things that are concrete. He's not just looking, daydreaming, looking ahead to the horizon and – and sort of philosophizing and yammering and not getting any, any work done. Um, he's doing real stuff, but he's also thinking ahead. He's looking ahead to the future. And that's one of the reasons you, you save day by day, week by week, month by month, just a little, 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 little. You put a little aside because you're looking to the future. You're looking to the future. That's part of a good worker. And the, and the ant is working even in the summertime to store things away so that when, when, there, when circumstances are more adverse, when the environment gets hostile, when there's not plenty, when it gets cold, she'll have enough. Um, and so that is the mark of a good worker as well. And that's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to save up, not just to spend everything. Our society needs huge lessons in that. Also, you know, there's a, there's a lesson here in, with the ant in procrastination. Um, she, she doesn't procrastinate. She doesn't wait until, and this is, of course, tied to what I just said, until she has to do something. There's no waiting until the ant has to. The ant is just little by little, working, working, working all the time, and of course resting when needed. Um, doesn't need doesn't need an overseer to crack the whip. She doesn't procrastinate. She works ahead of time. When it's nice outside, she's not playing. She's working. Um, and working ahead of time means that you can work bit by bit, by bit, um, and you won't have to be frenetic and you won't have to be frenzied. And ants aren't frenzied, right? They're, they're not frenzied unless you kick the ant pile, which I've done more times than I care to admit as a, as a boy. Um, and sometimes you step on an ant pile by accident and then you're in trouble. But um, no, no, if an ant's working, an ant's not frenzied. On the contrary, ants are, they line up. They do things little by little by little by little. Um, I love watching ants, like I said, and I remember we were in uh, Costa Rica at the beginning of the summer. Um, I, I'm in Hawaii now and I was in Costa Rica. It's been a, it's been a nice summer. We've had, we have family here. and we, we had friends that invited us there for a few days. Um, it was really, it was really a blessing, uh, was there, uh, in a chair outside on the patio watching ants, um, just take a peek, take apart this, these flower petals bit by bit. I don't know how they would cut them, but they would cut the flower petal, a little bit of the flower petal and carry it off. And you would see them carrying these little purple, uh, bits of, of lacy, uh, silken flower petal. Um, and, and eventually, you know, you have enough of them, thousands and thousands, and they keep going and they keep going and they keep going. And they're unobtrusive. I mean, I, I was having my quiet time or something. I just looked down and I see these little purple things being carried almost invisibly. And then you realize those are ants. They're carrying these things that are three times bigger than, than their bodies. Um, and enough of them do it over enough time. And they've they mow down these flowers and they've uh, and they've got what they need in their stores for um, for provision. And so. The point there is they do it bit by bit by bit without stopping. And it adds up over time. And that's another lesson that we learned from the ant. You know, I'm reading 
a book, I don't have it here, but Atomic Habits by James Clear. And the atomic meaning like small, like an atom, like a microscopic, a nanoparticle. Um, and his, his basic thesis is that so far, anyway, I'm only 100 pages in, is that, you know, it's not the huge, I'm going to do these five massive things that, that make real, the real difference. The real difference is these little habits that aggregate over time to make massive differences. And so like a 1% change per day, adding 1% and then another 1% and then another 1% over time, like I think he says like over a year, it adds to a, a multiple of 37, you know, um, over the course of a year, if you just do a 1% change per day, don't check my math on that. That stat might not be right. I don't have the book here, but his point is, um, that it's been shown through, through the study of habits and through his own experience that, um, habit stacking and changing things just microscopically almost, but persistently, consistently day by day by day, um, has massive changes over the course of time. You know, even if you just think of having a one degree change, uh, and keeping that one degree change and not even adding to it, not, a, not even doing another one degree change the next day and another one degree change the next day. But if you just do a one degree change, if you're going somewhere, you're going on a thousand mile journey and at the beginning of the journey, you do a one degree change. At the end of that journey in a thousand miles, you're going to be so far off course. You're going to be in a very different place. Um, over time, these little changes make a huge difference. You know, working day by day by day, putting a little bit away, um, valuing work, um, and then conversely, not just taking it easy a little bit here, a little bit there, but rather resting when God gives us rest in the evenings, right? Um, uh, perhaps even building little rest breaks into your workday so that you can work harder and better, but uh, weekly during the Sabbath, um, and then throughout the year at, at appointed times as well. Um, these, uh, these things add up to, um, sorry, but when you, when you, when you rest here and rest there, and you get used to rest and your life becomes just seeking rest. Um, that is sort of the converse picture that we get in the Proverbs of the diligent man. Is not that poverty comes by doing nothing, although we have that picture, but more I found as I've looked at this, at this idea of this this idea of work in the Proverbs, that that really poverty comes through maybe even more than doing nothing, which I mean, who does nothing? Very few people. It comes through doing something halfway or just resting too much. And all of a sudden it says, you fold your hands a little bit here, you fold your hands a little bit there, you don't open your eyes, you sleep in, and you come into it, you sleep in again, and then you sleep in again, think about that 1%, and all of a sudden it becomes a habit. And before you know it, poverty will attack you like an armed brigand, like a, like a robber, okay? It's not just through doing nothing, it's, it's through, and, and the, the man who um, is contrasted with the diligent is not the one who does nothing, he's the one who, uh, does things halfway. He does things with a, uh, quote, slack hand, according to the, the proverbist, um, with a slack hand. So you do things not full force, not for the Lord, not 100%, not with your zeal and your creativity and your diligence, but sort of halfway. And you are compared to the destroyer. You're a brother. The one who does things halfway is a brother to, to him who destroys, is one of our proverbs. In other words, they're kin. They're just, they're very much like each other. They're from the same family. So in other words, if you do something halfway, it's like the person who comes along and blows stuff up and tears stuff down. 
it, it injures people and it's not helpful at all. And in fact, it's destructive. Um, but back to the, back to the value of just doing things bit by bit by bit by bit. Um, you have the James Clear from Atomic Habits. Uh, my, you know, in, in the PhD world with my dissertation, I remember, um, really it's passed around among those who've, who've been at it for a while that like really what you need to be focusing on is about three to 500 words per day, which is about a page single spaced. Cause you get into the PhD when you, at first you're just like, man, I want to, I want to do a chapter a month or whatever. I don't know. Um, I want to read all these books. I want to finish and And you have this, and it's a massive project, right? It's an elephant, but the way you need to eat the elephant is one bite at a time. And if you're doing three to 500 words per day, one page per day, and of course you're going to have to edit all that, but you're producing that day by day by day. You just steadily have that be your small goal and your small goal again and your small goal again. You're going to have in a year or two, you're going to have a draft and you're going to be able to edit down that draft. And then you're going to be able to graduate and finish in three years. Um, and that's just the way it works. Um, and so, you know, I got, I got a workout tip from a guy that was ripped that competed, um, bodybuilding. And he told me, I said, give me one tip. And he gave me the tip that I didn't want. He, he gave me the tip that was the opposite of the silver bullet, right? You're looking for, I don't know, take this steroid. Just kidding. I wasn't looking for that, but you know, you want to hear something that makes it seem easy to get ripped and stay fit and healthy. No, he said, don't miss a day in the gym. Dadgummit. In other words, don't go one or two days a week, which is what I tend to do. Go six days a week. And if that sounds intimidating to you, go three to four. But man, I've noticed in my life, there's a difference between going three to four days a week to the gym, and not just the gym, <coughs> whether it's running or cycling or swimming, and then going like twice. Twice kind of just maintains. Three to four to five days, you're growing, you're building, you're progressing. Day by day by day by day, make it a habit. There's a Chinese proverb that every thousand mile journey begins with a step. And I would add to that every thousand mile journey consists. I mean, forget this is in the ancient days. Forget uh, airplanes um, every and automobiles. Every thousand mile journey doesn't just start with one step. It consists of single steps, right? Single step after single step after single step. Eventually, over the course of years, you've gone thousands of miles. Um, think of Forrest Gump there, right? Malcolm Gladwell, he has that 10,000 hour principle that's become famous, justly so. I think about it quite often. He basically, his thesis basically there is that, um, I, I can't remember what book it is. it in Tipping Point? It's a chapter or two. Um, is that it, bas- it basically through his research and the research of others, it takes, it's been shown that it takes about 10,000 hours of doing something with focus to become an expert in it. And he, he talks about, he uses Bill Gates. And his computer programming at University of Michigan, uh, and then by himself later he uses the Beatles as examples. Um, but that ten thousand hour principle, it takes about ten thousand hours to become an expert in something. Um, again, hour after hour after hour, day by day. If you study the Word of God and meditate on it and pray through it, spend time with God in it, anchoring yourself in His Word and wisdom for an hour a day in twenty-seven years you will have reached the 10,000 hour mark, 27 years. So if you're 25 now, you know, 50. If you're 30 now, if you're 50 now, 80, you know, um, it adds up. What better to become an expert in, if I can say that, than God's very word. Um, 
you know, and against studying. I mean, this principle just, it just, it pours out over, it applies to every area of life, right? Um, so like I said, saving money, just so many different things, working out, um, becoming an expert in something. But uh, procrastination means trying to cram. Again, again, the ant is the opposite of the procrastinator. The procrastination means trying to cram something in, in weeks, in uh, something in, in weeks or months uh, of work. So, uh, it means trying to cram like weeks or months of work into a night or two, really, you know. Um, but what what you should be doing instead is is day by day by day applying yourself and studying for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. And every examiner will tell you that studying a little bit every day, it's, it's way less sexy and you don't get a rush out of it, but it actually, it ends up with higher grades. It produces higher grades and it actually puts things in your long-term memory bank way better. And you're not frenetic and stressed out. You don't stay up all night drinking Red Bull and crashing the next day, right? And feeling wrong and being wrung out. Um, so all these are, are lessons just just from the ant. It's really It's really about habits, right? It's really about habits. Um, Aristotle says something like, uh, way over quoted, but true that the habit habits, this choices lead to habits and habits lead to character and character leads to destiny or destination. And that is so true. And that's very proverbial. Um, okay. There's so much more. I don't want this lesson to go on and on. Um, let's see. You know, Proverbs 10.5 talks about a son who brings shame, work or not working, indolence and laziness and slothfulness. Um, and I'll just mention kind of two points and then and then try to bring these, thing, these things to a close. But, um, you know, a son who is indolent brings shame to his to his parents. You know, these hard work affects more people than just you. It affects those around you. We are all connected like a spider web, right? Um, if I work hard, I honor and bless those attached to me. I, I honor and bless my wife, my children, my parents, my church family, my I mean, the sports team that I'm on, and on and on it goes, my corporation if I'm part of a, a company. Um, if I'm lazy, conversely, I bring shame to those people. Have you ever seen the eyes of the child of a drunkard or a wastrel or a lazy, indolent man? I say man because typically it's the woman who's who's left with uh, providing for the children and the women tend less to, that it happens, but um, women tend to pick up the slack and, and uh, provide for their families, but when they have to, um, but have you ever seen the eyes of the child of a, of a drunkard or an indolent man um, or the eyes of his wife? You, what you see in those eyes is so sad. It's, they're, they're full of fear often and sadness and insecurity and shame. Um, Conversely, you know, those who are attached to the someone who work is not an idol, but is a hard worker, an honest worker, working with diligence and zeal and excellence for God and not men. Those people are full of, of uh, confidence and and security and um, they have enough to eat. These are the marks of a righteous person. Um, so. There it is. Um, all that to say. Work affects more than just more than just us. Um, not working can bring can bring shame. Um, so much here that I want to 
that I want to touch on, but I've touched on a fair amount of it in talking about the ant. Um, another thing is that is that uh, you know fifteen nineteen. So 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 we've talked about the ant. We've talked about how work just briefly here. How work affects more than just us. We're connected, or the lack of work affects more than just us. Softness or laziness um, or indolence. But when I mention softness, you know that's a, it's it's a, it's not just lack of doing things. It can be a soul condition. It's one of the seven. Sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. It's not just not doing things in activity. It's it's a sense of fear at the base and sadness and a lack of, of hope and a sort of despair and a failure to rise at the depth of your soul that can possess you and shackle you, that can lead to indolence. And it's a soul condition. It's rooted in the fall, as is all indolence. Um, and we see a, a touch of that in like Proverbs 19 that contrasts the the sluggard with, you would think, the diligent. A lot of times, I mean, the chief characteristic of Hebrew poetry is its parallelism. So sometimes you'll get you'll get synthetic uh, parallelism where one thing is like the other, but sometimes you'll get one line and then the next line is a contrast, and that's called antithetic parallelism. There's an antithesis that's being, and in this case, in Proverbs fifteen nineteen, the the sluggard is 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 compared to what the diligent, the hard worker. No, you would think that. No, but the sluggard is compared to the righteous. The sluggard is compared to the righteous. In fact, I'll just read it and then I'll close. Um, Proverbs fifteen, nineteen, says uh, it says the way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The path of the upright. So the sluggard versus the upright. And what is that suggesting there? You got to kind of think about. You got to let the the antithesis, the contrast, uh, work on you. Why is why is the proverbist? contrasting the sluggard with the upright. What does that tell us about the sluggard? It tells us that the the sluggard is the opposite of the upright. The sluggard is 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 uh is bent over and and perverse in a sense and um and sinful. There's a, there's sinfulness and wickedness in sloth. And um it's a soul condition. It's 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 connected to our character, to who we are, and um, you know, laziness isn't just not doing something. Like every sin, it's a sickness of the soul. We need we need healing and deliverance from it, and that we have that in Christ. You know that beautiful beautiful passage, and I should read it in Ephesians two, which is just such a wonderful book. Um, Ephesians two, where Paul in these couple verses, I mean, Ephesians 1 and 2 are just chock full of gospel goodness. But in Ephesians 2, he lays out in verse 8 the gospel really, really concisely and says, for by grace, and what is grace? It's like a churchy word that can be evacuated of meaning in our minds. But grace is a rich word that means it's the work of God for you. It's not your work. It's not by your work you're saved. It's by the work of another by the work of God in Jesus, the work that he's done as your representative in your place, the work for your salvation to make you right before God, to pay for your sins, to obey the law in your place. For by grace, the work of God. So every time you hear the word grace, think of God's work, not yours. God's work for you. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So you believe that he's done it in your place, right? 
For by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and in case you didn't get that, Paul underlines it. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. He was pleased to do it for you in Christ. Okay, that's my interpretation. Verse 9, not a result of works. There it is again. He's underscoring that. In case you didn't get it, not a result of your work, friend, so that no one may boast. That's the gospel. What's been, what you have needed, need to do to make yourself right before God, you can't do. Christ has come and he's done it for you. Believe on him and be saved. That's the gospel. Then he says this, next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, what is the product of the gospel? A product of the gospel is that, is, is that we are, the, God has created good works for us to walk in. Work is a gift from him, but being, it's a good work comes out of our character and out of our souls, and we have to be made right by the work of another Jesus Christ. That's the only way that this thing really. Now, you can be a hard worker, you can set up good habits without, without Christ, <clears throat> but in the end, um, real fruitfulness and real work that comes out of a state of rest and a state of acceptance through the work of another and through the, the pleasure of God that's given to us um, through the person and the work of Jesus Christ for us. Um, that kind of abiding in that kind of acceptance and unconditional love um, gives us a soul rest out of which we can do good work. Not, not good work to be accepted, but good work is a gift, good work from a father, good work from a father who loves us and has made a way for us to be reconciled to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, like I said, there's so much more here in the Proverbs on work and on indolence, um, on the diligent and on the sluggard. So check it out. Enjoy getting into it. But um, that's all I'll say about that. I'm looking forward to future weeks here together in the Proverbs. Um, remember, as I close, that um, in Christ we have been brought to a place where, yes, there's still pain and toil and um laboriousness and boredom attached to our work but because of jesus christ what we do matters because of jesus christ this life is not all that we have um the leaf that we uh, spend all of our lives creating will be will become this beautiful tree to sort of steal to steal completely a uh, a metaphor from J.R. tolkien who wrote the lord of the rings in, in his little um parable that he wrote a short story called leaf Leaf by Niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E. A niggler is someone who just does, does he, um, a, a niggler is someone who makes big deals about little things, right? And so his ambition was to create a tree, but in his life, all he ended up making was a leaf. And that's a great sort of condensation of, I think, what a lot of us feel like. We have these great ambitions and we know, we, we never meet up, we never match our own expectations. And, and what, there's a sense in which he's saying it's okay. In Christ, there's so much grace. And the work that you do in Christ matters, and he will take that seed, and in the new creation, that seed will grow into a beautiful tree. We have the next life um, to sow into now. Don't In your work, don't just look to, uh, look to um, the work of Christ for you. Know that you're fully accepted. Know that you're not, you're not, you're not working because you have to. You're working because you get to, because you're an image bearer. So work in, with a sense of freedom to, for God and not for your boss, not for men. And that's going to unshackle you and allow you to not be a slave, but to be a free son. And your work's going to take on a new sheen. It's going to take on uh, creativity and productivity that never had before. Um, not working because you have to, but working because you get to, right? Um, but also knowing that 
this life is not all we have. The resurrection of the body, uh, the restoration of all creation that will follow the redemption of the sons of men, Romans chapter 8, is coming. And what we're doing here is a, down, a, a deposit, a down payment into the, that next creation. So if, if we have a view to that in our work, we're going to have this vision that's going to give us hope, that's going to fill our sails, that's going to remind us that it's okay that our work is filled with pain, it's imperfect, and sometimes it's um, boring and, and not as fulfilling as we as it should be. That's right, but that's coming. That's coming. And so keep working uh, for God and not men, and know that everything you do matters, and know um, that all work is worship, not just going uh, to worship on a Sunday, not just listening to praise music. No, not just telling someone about Jesus. But everything that you do should be worship. God made you to worship in everything that you do. All that is not sin is sacred. Um, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Jesus Christ has brought us back into a place where everything that we do can be an offering to him, can be praise to him. Uh, we are made to worship him in everything we do, whether we're eating, whether we're drinking, whether we're working, whether we're resting, right? Um, and it will be, yes, it will be tinged with sin and imperfection here, but we've been fully accepted and loved and brought into the kingdom through the work of another Jesus Christ. And so um, one day when we see him face to face, we will be completed. Our work, uh, the seeds of our work will grow into something beautiful and we'll have eternity to be able to work and to explore and to adventure and to create uh, with God, our King, um, with us face to face. God bless you all.